Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to present to you today's guest, Alita McDaniel. Alita is a transformational life coach, holistic chef, personal trainer, psychic medium, and overall incredible human being. And in this episode, I have an eye-opening conversation with her about so many things, including manifestation, which she explains in a way that I have never heard explained before, addiction at the cellular level, also have not heard addiction described in this way. She talks about spirituality, energy, co-creating reality, including how we all contribute to this COVID world, ditching the victim mentality, using plant medicine as a pathway to healing, calling yourself out on your own bullshit, which I'm a huge fan of, and so much more. So I know that you will really enjoy today's episode. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe. I love that you talk about those things that people don't want to talk about. And like you said, this might get under your skin. And I just like, I love going there. Like that's the stuff that I'm just like, yes, let's Mm -hmm. just dive into that. Serious. I, it's, it's so what's funny for me is I, I learned along the way to love being triggered not, not from a perspective of saying, oh, see, that's why I'm broken. That's why I'm flawed. I always attract these. Like, no, I, I love being triggered because I'm like, ooh, there's room for growth. When someone gets under my skin, I'm like, oh, crap. Like, that means that, like, I'm holding on to a belief that's actually not suitable for my highest good. And that means it's not su- suitable for, for the highest good of anybody. So that means, like, right now there is some serious room for growth. And if I try to blame this on someone else, then nothing is going to change. And obviously the healing that's available to me is not going to be there for me because I'm not taking advantage of it right now. So I need to follow that thread. I need to run into the fire. I need to understand why I am unconsciously choosing to be triggered. Yeah. I love it. It's so like, it feels like almost in a way when I think about how much I love that it's like, it feels sick, but it's not. It's like, you just, you're like, I'm going to face you head on. Like, let's look into the shadows, like look into what's coming up for me. I love that. So I'm so ready to dive in. Um, well, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you. Um, so grateful we were connected and I would love for you to tell my listeners who you are, what you do, what you're passionate about, And maybe if you want to say how we were connected, I think it'd be cool to have that in there. So, Sure. Uh, So Alita McDaniel, my name. Uh, I have been uh, a coach for about 16 years now. Um, I battled with the first half of my life in depression, chronic illness, uh, compulsive overeating, food addictions, and obesity. 
and I was diagnosed by a third doctor uh, who attempted to put me on pharmaceutical drugs to deal with the depression. And he said, you know, just understand once you start this, we're just going to have to slowly, you know, increase your dose as you become adapted to it. And we'll just keep you on it for as long as you need. And I'm like, so you mean I'm going to be on this drug for the rest of my life? And he's like, yeah, probably. And I was like, yeah, okay. So that's not an option for me. And um, so I, I took I took it upon myself to go find another way. Uh, that was the last time, um, being completely honest, that I went to like a doctor for a checkup, um, for just the regular checkups. I, I went into him because I was fainting. And he was like, oh, you're depressed. I'm like, oh, really? Is that so? <laughs> so. I, um, I, I, I took a long, hard look at my life and, and I really, I really asked myself, you know, where am I, where am I not creating my reality? I, I always knew that the power of my mind to create, you know, I, I, I've been a medium since I was nine, clairvoyant, clairaudient, um, energetic healers. It, it was always, it was always my, my reality, but I, I never really accepted it. And when I got that diagnosis, I realized that I was using food as a numbing agent. I was using food to put myself into a coma so that I didn't have to deal with what was coming up for me. And it was a lot easier for me to numb the pain of denial than it was for me to face what that problem was. And, um, and so I ended up going to culinary school because I thought, well, the food that I'm addicted to is unhealthy for me. So let me go learn how to make the food that I'm addicted to healthy for me. I went to school at the California Culinary Academy uh, in San Francisco. And uh, when I got there, all my teachers laughed in my face and they're like, you know, sugar's favor, flavor, fat is flavor. There's no way that you can make healthy food taste good. And I'm just like, okay, fine. Screw you. Watch me. Um, I went for baking pastry. I ended up staying for culinary arts. and during that time, I had this kind of awakening and I thought, okay, well, I'm obese and I don't ever really remember a point in my life where I've been thin in a fit way, even though I was a competitive dancer through a majority of my, my youth. Um, I was never a thin dancer. I was, I was up on stage competing uh, at like 172. So you know, I was like, it, while I was in, in culinary school, I remember running down the stairs in my dorms and I heard this horrible noise and I stopped dead in my tracks and I, I looked around to make sure that like nobody heard it. And it was my thighs slapping together as I was running down the stairs. And I was mortified. I was like, abs I, was, I was shivering in fear that someone heard that noise. But what it made me realize was that here I am going to try to solve the food problem but I'm not an example of optimal health. So what gives me the right to go out and tell people this is a healthier option when I'm now going to become a do as I say, not as I do type person. And I, I realized at that moment, I couldn't have respect for myself if I was speaking one thing and doing another. And that was when everything really shifted for me. So a couple years out of the industry or out, out of school, um, I was recruited multiple times by different locations. I worked at a country club. Uh, I was at um, a resort. Uh, I was at a, a baking, uh, uh, a wholesale bakery that did everything from scratch. Uh, one of the best in the Palm Springs area. And I lost the majority of my weight while I was there. And I got recruited to design menus for a medical wellness program in La Quinta. 
and also worked at a fine dining restaurant there. And while I was there was when the click happened for me because I started realizing that all of the research that I had done, even the doctors that I was working with were just now figuring out. And I had been doing this research for like four years already. And I thought to myself, I wonder what would happen if I take what I have now done, because by that I had, I had lost 80 pounds, I had done, you know, I had done all this work. I was like, you know what, I wonder what would happen if I went and coached other people and showed other people that this is possible. So I was laid off for the summer. I walked into Gold Gym and I was like, hey, this is my before and after picture. And I had been, you know, I'd been studying, you know, weight training at that time. I, I digested every bodybuilding magazine I could find. And they're like, you're hired. And I was like, but I, I don't have a certification. They're like, we will give you on the job training. And within two weeks, I had enough clients to quit my job. And I got all my nights and weekends back. Um, within a few months, I was promoted, 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 promoted. Uh, I was teaching yoga. Um, I was self-taught at that particular point, uh, yoga meditation. I started teaching boot camp classes, and I was also the head trainer there at Colts. And and that's that was how my life as a coach started. And over the last 16 years, uh, my coaching career has gone from personal training to uh, figure com competition to holistic nutrition, integrative nutrition, spiritual psychology, energy work, DNA clearing. Um, like you name it, I, I have gone, uh, you know, all over the map. Um, and that, and that just mainly is because I, I wanted my business to evolve the way I was evolving. Um, I'm a student of comparative religions just because I enjoy it. Uh, I love ancient civilization and ancient beliefs. And I believe that there's a lot of spiritual technology that is not ex accessible to us right now because of the way history books have been written. And if we ask bigger questions, there's a lot more available to us. Um, and so what was fascinating about the way you and I met, um, I, being a chef, I still am a chef. Um, I just do it from home now. We just finished uh, kitchen construction. It was a three-year project. We added 330 square feet onto our kitchen to do a show. And so I was supposed to attend something called the Natural Products Expo this year. I was going specifically looking for sponsors, brand ambassadorships, uh, and, and companies that wanted to collaborate. Uh, I started collaborating last year with companies uh, after the expo. And, um, and so I was looking really to monetize my show before it launched. And in light of COVID, it got canceled. But because I'm local in the area, at the last minute, I'm seeing all these people that got stuck in California. And I start hitting the DMs and I'm like, hey guys, what can we do to like join forces? How can we have happy hours? How can we have networking met, uh, events? And so through that, I met some really incredible people, some incredible brands, um, including Ashley from Better Bar, uh, who asked me to be a part of her uh, collaborative efforts um, and the collective uh, group of voices that she has, is joining uh, together to support the mission of integrity in food again. And so when I sent her my content and the answers uh, to have me featured on her account, uh, that's when she reached out to you and, and told you about me. So... Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, to me, it's always very important. And I, I think that's why I've allowed my business to evolve the way I have evolved. Authenticity for me is 100% key. And um, I think that right now we struggle in our world more so because nobody feels that they have the room to be authentic. And so it is my goal. It is my aim, no matter what I do to really say, this is who I am. I don't care what you think. I, it, your opinion doesn't matter about me. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you what it means to be unapologetically authentic. And if you call me a freak, if you call me a weirdo, that's cool too. If you call me a conspiracy theorist, that's cool. 
that's your opinion, you know, but your opinion and my opinion are going to be based on my personal experience and your personal experience. And, um, and, and I respect the fact that the universe is big enough and vast enough that it's always going to grow to fit whatever we believe and whatever we choose to manifest. So yeah, there we go. What an incredible story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And such a beautiful illustration of your journey. And I'm so grateful we got connected and we're doing this because I am so excited to dive into so many different things with you. Um, you started talking about manifestation. So maybe, maybe we can start there. Um, your videos on Instagram for people who don't follow you yet, they're amazing and you should go follow Alita and we'll have all of that at the end. But you're, as I said at the beginning, you're not afraid to go to places that people don't want to go and to talk about things that can really make people look at what have I been doing? Can you just describe what manifestation is for people that may not be familiar and then how you use that in maybe your own life and and your coaching with Mm -hmm. people? Sure. So there is a universal law called law of attraction. It was kind of sort of made famous by a movie called The Secret um, a while back. Unfortunately, um, I feel like there was, there, was a, there was a documentary that came out before The Secret called What the Bleep Do We Know? One of, still hands down, one of my absolute favorites of all time. Um, that was a more scientific, in-depth study of the concept of manifestation, but not under the guides of manifestation, under the guides of thoughts become things, thoughts create reality. So in a nutshell, your body is a vibrational device. And if we go down to say the size of an atom and we look at the nucleus and we look at the electrons. Okay. So if we think about, if, if we go down to a small scale and I, I got this, uh, I got this, uh, this diagram from a book that I'm reading, I'm studying called remote viewing. So it's a technology. We could talk about that later. But, um, so if you, if you shrink it down and you kind of expand it to something that is, is logically explainable, say for instance, the atom is expanded to the size of a football stadium and an electron is going around in an orbit around the nucleus, but the electron is the size of a grain of sand. And the nucleus is the size of a pea, all in the size of a stadium. That is an atom. Now think about the, the, the size of, of something that you can actually measure versus the, versus the amount of space that's in between. So even though this world feels like it's all solid, this is solid matter, it's actually a lot more space. Now, That being said, the thoughts that we think are the experience that our physical body is having in relationship to the world around us. So if you ask me a question, my brain is going to filter it according to what I believe to be true. 
So when I ask for something in return, if I ask you for something, I, what I say to you is going to come from the place of what I think you can give me, what I think I need. In terms of manifestation, we have a tendency to identify with the idea that I either have it or I don't. And if I don't need it, if I don't have it, that means I need it. Well, if we look at our body and we say, well, I need to lose weight. I need to get rid of it because what is real to me is I won't feel good unless I have this, this state of existence. So then we start, we start asking the universe, source, God, consciousness, whatever. We start asking for relief. Because now I believe that I am broken, I am scarred, I am flawed. But we're asking for something to complete us from the illusion that we're broken, that we're scarred, that we're incomplete. Not realizing that we're all space anyway. So manifestation is literally, it's, it's, unconsciously until we understand how to use it it is unconsciously using the vacuum of space this energy vibrational thing that we inhabit and with a thought this body vibrates a tune and that tune matches our brokenness or our completion our fear or our peace and it acts like an antenna and it vibrates the little parts of us that, that actually exist. And it vibrates out into the world. And it says to the world, this is who I am. And the universe says, oh, I love you so much. I'm going to give you more of what you think you are. I'm going to give you more of what you focus on. We say, no, 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 no. I don't want that. No, that's not what I want. That's not what I asked for. But it is what we ask for because it's a thing we focus on. So. Once we learn that our, our, our thoughts need to align, it's called coherence or congruence. Once we learn how to do that, then the intention that we set for ourselves, the reality that we have in our, in our world, it, it aligns with the things that we're asking for. So manifestation becomes more of um, an intention rather than a prayer. Manifestation becomes a, um, a more of a, like you're, you're, you're really just aligning your habits, your thoughts, your actions with the, the perception of you and the future that you have called into manifest. So it's like, if I say the future version of me, this is who I am. Well, in, in consciousness, in quantum physics, the, the question and the answer coexist. One cannot exist without the other. So you're never actually manifesting anything. The second you ask for it, it already exists. So it's like a chicken or the egg. Does source basically say, hey, I have something better for you. And then bam, oh, I should ask for this. You know, or does the moment that I ask for it, 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 like it, it manifests? Either way, they coexist. It's called entanglement in quantum physics. So 
our job when we're quote unquote manifesting isn't so much about manifesting. It's more about calibration. I'm calibrating, I'm tuning my thoughts to match the frequency of that future version of me who is that person, that, that is that version that I believe is in my highest good. So manifestation, we have a tendency to be taught or believe that it's like, oh, we put it on a vision board, we sit back, we wait for the universe to deliver, which never works, we all know that. Or we, we wait on God. It's, God, it's God's time, uh, no, it's God. But you know what though, it's our time. When I am ready to receive. I heard a, a guru say one time, that God heard you the first time. It's you who needs to hear you, which is why you keep saying it over and over and over again. And what you need to hear isn't the prayer, but it's the belief that I am worthy of receiving. So manifestation is, is kind of like a, a two-part process where the ask and then the calibration, and the calibration is clearing out everything that stands between me and the thing that I've asked for. Because what I'm doing is like, I, I describe it to my clients. If you have, and I use this because I'm a foodie too. So you're having a seven course meal, story of your life. And this third course was amazing. You're like, oh my God, I will never have anything as good as this. And we hold on to it and we identify it with like, oh my God, look, it's so beautiful. I'm going to go hang this dirty plate up on my wall. And I want to remember how amazing. And God is like, hey, hey, I've got your next course ready for you. No, 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 no. Don't you understand? This is the best I can do. This is the, and we hold on to it for dear life. And whatever source is out there is saying, yeah, but I've got something better for you. So in the process of manifestation, we have this opportunity to say, okay, look, maybe this is what I'm asking for, but maybe what source has for me is actually better. And so we have this opportunity to say, okay, in this situation, if there is something better for me, then I can ask for what I'm asking for, but I can also put on a little disclaimer at the end. So this is what I'm asking for. And then, and then finish off that prayer. This or something better for the highest good of all concerns. So we're literally opening ourselves up to say, okay, but if you have something better for me, I'm totally open to that too. I'm just not going to play small and accept that what I'm asking for is all there is available to me because there's always more. Um, and so when it comes down to you know, a, a situation like what's going on in the world right now, which is something that we talked about before we started recording. Um, you know, when we talk about times of COVID, um, this is the conversation that I have consistently with my clients as well as my students in my online academy is how are you co-creating COVID? Every single one of us is responsible for how we are co-creating this reality right now. Whether we're conscious or unconscious of it, we are creating it. And that could come because we have resistance. That could come because we have fear. That could come because we have doubt. It could also come because we have hope and we are, we are confident of what's going to come. But it's an opportunity for us to really look at, you know, where we are out of integrity with our own personal promises. And, you know, this is an opportunity for all of us to really just go within and ask ourselves, you know, what are those things I've been saying that I've been putting off in the land of someday? And someday is here and someday is available to us now. And so was that someday really, 
our intention of someday or was that someday really us saying, I'm not worthy of receiving this, so I'm just going to keep putting it off. And so I, I really feel like the more people who decrease their resistance to completion, who follow through on those personal promises at this time, when whatever it is that's going on is, is over, we are going to have a better situation for more people because there are going to be enough people who swung the consciousness of the whole in a way that is supportive to rebuilding and creating something that is more in the highest good of everyone concerned. That was an amazing picture of what manifestation is and how we how we, like you said, we calibrate to what we want, or we need to calibrate to what we want in order to manifest it. So if I sit here and I say, I want a million dollars, I'm not just gonna get a million dollars, what I'm hearing is I need to attune my energy and my vibration to that acting as if piece that you've talked about. And what would I be like if I had a million dollars? How would I, how would I act differently and matching the energy of what I want? Mm -hmm. See, most people, most people have this idea. They say, Oh, I wouldn't change. I mean, if that's the case, you would have the million dollars. What it takes to align with whatever it is that we want. We have to acknowledge that there are some things that are going to need to change in our life. And it's the fear of change that prevents most people from actually manifesting what they want because they're so focused on trying not to repeat the past that their energy is tuned into the frequency of their past. So in terms of calibration, it's like if someone is trying to manifest a million dollars, there's a massive possibility that they got money issues. So they already have a poor relationship with money. So if you're looking at the relationship with money, think about, and this, this could be anything. So we'll use money as an example. So, so your relationship with money. So you say, okay, what are the beliefs that I have about money? Money's never there when I need it. It always burns a hole in my pocket. People always are greedy who have a lot of money. Well, I mean, if all of those things are really actually true, there is no way you're going to attract a million dollars into your life. So when we, when we think about, you know, what we truly believe about the thing that we actually want, when we really just dissect all of it, we see how many beliefs we have against it. And that, that's something that a lot of people don't want to do because it's, it's icky and it's painful and it, it's dark in there. And, and those are the cobwebby things that we try to lock up into a part of our, our life. We don't ever want to have to look at it. And yet it's like, if we actually take the time and, and, and invest the attention into it, our ability to manifest something that we actually want like increases 10 to a million fold, you know? So it's like, it's, it's like, how bad do we want it? 
if we really wanted it that bad, we would be willing to do that inner work. We would be willing to go into those parts of us and unravel anything that's standing in the way. Because the second you ask for it, it's already created. But it's us that don't have the eyes and the heart and the space to receive it. So it's like, why not? You know, if, if you really truly believe that that's what you want, be willing to change. Look at your life. Get your finances in order. Maybe build your credit back up. Maybe pay off some debt. You know, do whatever you can to get in alignment with whatever wealth means to you so that your beliefs about wealth match abundance rather than scarcity because that's the big shift. Yeah, it's one thing to say that you want something, but it's a different thing to say you want something and then to embody that thing that you want. Mm-hmm. Because it, the universe knows it's like, you're saying you want this, but you don't because you're not looking at the, the shadows, the underlying beliefs that you have. So I don't think you really want it. Um, mm-hmm. How, how does this impact the victim mentality? So we talked about in our conversation um, on the phone, we talked about this word disease and how the word disease and, you know, calling people patients, it perpetuates this victim mentality which doesn't lead to healing. Mm -hmm. So how does this idea of manifestation and language tie into that? Well, so anytime that you feel like you're a victim, there's no space for manifestation to occur. And the reason being is because the belief that life is happening to you means that you are in a state of something called default. So it, it would be like, a pinball machine or a pinball machine and a pinball. So you are either the pinball in the machine or you are the operator. You are the, you are the player. When you're in default, you're the ball and everybody else is playing the game. And like, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I experienced it long before I took, took ownership of my life and took responsibility. And I, I would hear myself say, oh my God, they're setting me up for failure. How dare they? Like they want me to lose. Or, you know, I would, when I was a food addict, I would blame the food. Oh, I, I don't have any control when that food is around. Um, you know, experiencing childhood trauma. Um, you know, I could say it's my dad's fault for whatever, you know, I no point in even going back there. Cause I'm not a victim to that. Um, you know, talking about being molested as a child. Um, you know, I, I could say that all of it's all of those things that caused me to look at the world the way that I do, or I could own it. And I could say all of those things offered me a perspective on what I don't want. And because the world is an opportunity for contrast, anytime we get pushed up against, it's our job to push back and break out like a butterfly or a chicken, any kind of bird. So I look at contrast in a way of saying, if I am a victim, I will identify with my perception of what should have been. 
So I expect that this person should have behaved differently. I expect that this person should have treated me different. I, I expect my father should have stuck around. And that's where the pain comes from. That's where the hurt comes from. Uh, I believe it was Nietzsche who said, the cause of all human suffering is a belief in direct opposition to truth. And when we look at that and we dissect it a little bit more, our, it's our expectations of what should be that cause us to feel like a victim, 100%. But when we accept that maybe we didn't know what we didn't know when it happened, it doesn't make the experience right. But what it does do is it gives us our power back to perceive what we believe to be true about that experience. Now, when we talk in terms of quantum physics, and this is, this is a really fascinating kind of study for me, um, Schrodinger, uh, he had this theory about the cat. He said, okay, if you, and this is just, just a theory. You put a cat in a box and you put poison in the box. You don't know if the cat is alive or dead until you open the box. But until then, the cat is both alive and dead in, in terms of quantum physics. It's the observation that changes our experience of it. Well, if my observation of what happened to me in the past is always I had no say in the matter. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. There's no room for me to heal. But if I look at something and I say, you know what? Okay, it happened, but I really didn't have the tools and resources to do anything different. So what I can do is I can say, I can learn from it. I can change how I perceive it. And I don't need to keep talking about myself as a victim to it, more so I can say, these are the amazing lessons that I learned from it. And I can change how I tell the story about the experience. Because I don't need to keep talking about this person did this to me. I don't need to introduce this person and be like, oh yeah, this is the person who molested me. He's like, no, I spent time with so-and-so today. We hung out, it was cool. And so it's more, it, 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 that victim consciousness at a deep root is ego. Ego from a perspective, when we talk in terms of, of spirituality, spiritual psychology, ego is made up of all of our fears, our doubts, our limitations, our limitations that, you know, that we've been taught to be true. And ego is constantly fighting for power and control. And so it's ego that wants to keep us safe by reminding us of all the brokenness in our past. And in order for ego to, to remain in control, it needs to, to keep reminding us and saying, hey, don't forget what happened back then. You know, if you take a risk with so-and-so, that might happen again. And that's when victim consciousness remains. There's no room to manifest. But if we say, okay, ego, thank you for telling me. I appreciate you for letting me know. I'm going to choose to take a risk and see what's possible. We follow that white rabbit down the rabbit hole the way Alice does. She's my alter ego. And we go chase those white rabbits and see what else is available to us when we start looking at the world from a different perspective. And it's in that curiosity that we decrease our resistance and we increase our vibration. And we say to the universe, I'm ready to experience more of the things that I'm focusing on, which is my own power, my own clarity, my own confidence, my own love for life and, 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 and adventure and wonder. And so it's, it's, it comes from no longer needing to be right about our past, 
more so as it is about curiously wanting to prove yourself wrong every single day so that you're no longer willing. And I, for me, I'm no longer willing to accept the beliefs that I believed yesterday as the same that I'm going to believe today. And so I wake up every single day looking to prove my yesterday wrong so I can outdo it and outgrow it and upgrade because I really feel, especially right now with, with the whole COVID thing, this is a 5D evolution. We're coming from 3D into 5D. And for us to really truly evolve the way 5D is going to require of us, we need to accept each new day as a new paradigm and as a new us. And when we do that, our ability to manifest what it is that we want is accentuated and accelerated 10 to a million times faster than pre-COVID. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of fascinating in how all of that works. Yeah, I have so many things I want to say to, again, this amazing picture that you just portrayed and have different things. I'm like, I have different things I want to go down. But the first thing I think is this idea that you brought up of addiction and the victim mentality with addiction and the stories that people can have. And I bring this up for people who don't know, I'm an addictions therapist. And so I work every day with people who are struggling with alcohol, drug, food addiction. And I know that was a big piece in your life. And so I'm wondering, we've talked before about this idea of cellular addiction. Mm -hmm. And can you break that down for people and how that ties into kind of this victim mentality that we've been talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So when we have an experience uh, in the outside world, there is based on the way we believe things should have been, there's an emotional response. So the hypothalamus creates a, a peptide and the peptide, it's a protein. It goes from the brain into the body and it, it gets sucked up into these little receptor sites, clicks in and injects the cell with the experience of the emotion. Now, what ends up happening because our cells are constantly replicating at such a fast rate when the cell gets replicated and we have continuously fed ourselves this belief, the cells will replicate with more receptor sites for that particular emotional response and fewer for something that is, say, uplifting, proactive, inspiring, or even healthy. So we are literally programming our body to crave sabotage and self-destruction because now our cells are feeding on the negativity. Now, what's worse is that when we try to change the pattern, when we try to change it, we try to say, okay, look, I want to make, you know, I want to change my food or I want to change my eating or I want to work out or I want to be more positive or, you know, I want to stop, uh, you know, reacting at my spouse. Well, we have to understand that we're also trying to change our entire body on a cellular level. And when we don't, when we don't give ourselves permission to experience that, that emotional surge because it becomes like a drug the cells go into an emergency response because they haven't had their fix and so they will send a distress signal up to the brain and i know from being an addict of in food this feeling 
this, it's almost a physical sensation of, oh my God, I, I haven't overeaten today. I, I, I need to go and I need to eat. I, I'm really hungry, even though I'm not hungry. But it, it's like a distress, like I have to do this right now. If I don't, I'm going to die. And you can almost like, it, it's almost like there's two, like there's two realities playing in, it, well, was, okay, so I'll speak from my, my experience. So there was like two realities going off in my head. One was saying, you're on such a good track, like stay focused, you're doing really well. And the other one was like, fuck that, I need this right now. And there was one moment where I pulled out a, a bag of Oreos. I was, I was like dieting for like one of my first competitions. I, I pulled out a, a full bag of Oreos and I was dating a bodybuilder at the time. He could eat them. I couldn't, but I did it anyway. I pulled out the full bag of Oreos and I'm shoveling them in my mouth. And I heard this voice, Alita, stop. Alita, stop. Stop. And I, I just couldn't. I literally couldn't. And it was in that moment that it clicked for me what the physical sensation of that, that distress signal was. So what ends up happening is, is if we're trying to change that, we have to come to grips with the fact that not only is it just a habit, it is something that is actually chemically addicted in our cells and we are programmed to crave and, 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 and receive there's a beautiful uh, animated version of this in the movie, What the Bleep. So it, it goes into an animated version of how it happens inside the body. And then it also has like part documentary. So the scientists are explaining how this is happening. And then it's also in a movie. So they're showing you how it looks in real life. And it's probably one of my absolute favorite ways of, of really seeing this because in terms of, you know, someone who's wanting to break that addiction, we're not just looking at, you know, this idea of a disease. Cause I mean, if we think about it from a perspective of a disease and, and keep in mind, like I'm not a medical doctor. I just, I study holistic health for that's my world. Um, but if we look at it and we look at a cell and we say, okay, I, I, I can, I can program a cell to do one thing. I can program a cell to be addicted. Well, if I can program a cell to be addicted, I can also program it to be addicted to healthy and something different. So is it a curse for the rest of my life? No. Is it an offering for the rest of my life? Yes. Because now it becomes an experience that I can draw from. Now, if I were to say that I am an addict for the rest of my life, I would perpetuate the notion that I'm not in control of my choices. I would buy into the belief that I'm not responsible for how my soul, my, my soul, how my cells are being programmed. And yet I am personally, I'm too much of a control freak to let that happen. And I mean, here's my thing. Have you ever seen that movie, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? Oh, Yeah. Okay. So in that movie, there is a separation of the powers of a young wizard and the wizard because he, spoiler alert, uh, is being raised in, a, in an orphanage where um, they are all against witches and wizards. And so what he is, right? And so 
so in that space, he is separating himself, trying to fight his powers and they become this crazy destructive force. So I've, I, I've studied a lot about shamanic sickness where majority of healers develop chronic illnesses, terminal illnesses, and things like that because they're fighting against their power and their healing capacity. So they start separating themselves from the part of their soul curriculum that is actually calling them forward. And they're like, ah, it's not convenient. I don't have the right time. I don't have the right skills. And so this is why we start developing diseases as well, such as addictions, because the power that is inside of us is wanting so desperately to be expressed on an authentic level. And it is so strong, but we don't feel like we're in the environment to receive it. And so we separate from it and we make ourselves sick or we numb. And, and so that's, you know, from, from that perspective, um, that is my view on addiction because after having overcome it, um, I, I can look back and I can say, you know what, these things started when I started to question, you know, why I knew things that other people didn't know, you know, why I felt things and why I could see things and why I could hear things that other people didn't know. And it was easier for me to, to shut that down than it was for me to, to embrace, you know, the fact that maybe people would call me a weirdo or people would think I was a freak and, and not feel like I really had enough people to talk to. Um, and so it, it's, it's, it's fascinating when I work with someone who has that type of addiction and I help, and I, I don't even talk with them about food, but I help them to embrace their power and the food thing resolves itself because you know, those are just symptoms of a disconnect between the soul and the human form. Wow. That I was just like over here, just like my mind is just like blown because that is such a powerful perspective on addiction and such a way to reframe things like addiction, mental illness into like basically what is the power that you're avoiding stepping into? Um, and going back to what you were talking about with the stories and the beliefs that we keep telling ourselves over and over again, instead of saying, I wish this never happened to me, saying, I'm so grateful that this person abused me, which may sound like what to people, but being grateful for maybe the parents that weren't really there for you or the relationship that was destructive because if you can be grateful for those things and change the story around them, you can see how they've contributed to the power that you actually have and need to step into to heal the world and yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's fun in a sense of saying like, I never in a million years would have thought that being able to quote unquote, forgive someone in the past, um, really allows us to, if you, have you ever heard of the hero's journey, for example? 
Yeah. Okay. So it's that, it's that, that it's that process that we all go through. Um, you see it in every story. Uh, but it's basically, it's like something happens. You realize you need to go out. You've got to figure yourself out. You've got to slay your own dragon. And once you do, you come back into your tribe and you teach the lessons. Now I can look back and I could say, this person wronged me, this person wronged me, this person wronged me. Or I could say, you know what? What if I move forward and I understand what healing looks like? And what if I can, I mean, what if I can be thankful for the adversity that they helped to create in my life? And I could take a step back even further and I could say, on a soul level, there was a soul contract that was made between the two of us. Not Alita and that person, but on a soul level, the infinite part of me with the infinite part of them that we would come together in this life, create this experience for each other. And whether we're still together or not, doesn't matter. But on a soul level, we fulfilled a contract. Yeah. That, 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 that changes everything. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, if I, if, I, if I accept the fact that I am a spiritual being having a human experience, and I accept the fact that through this human experience, there is a spiritual curriculum that I am supposed to fulfill. Obviously, there are going to be situations that I'm going to be pissed off about, angry about, upset about, traumatized by. We didn't come into this world thinking we were going to have it like fairies and sprinkles and unicorns. Like we didn't come into this world for that. We came into a world of contrast so that we could experience contrast and grow from it. So, you know, that's where it gets fun is basically saying, yes, I'm going to fall flat on my face. Yes, I'm going to skin my knee. Yes, it's going to hurt. But learning how to dissect the lesson out of that and then move forward 10 times faster is what excites me now. But it took me a really long time of sorting through all that pain and trauma to get to where I'm at now. So it's like when people ask me, like, how are you so happy? I'm like, because I know the contrast of misery. Like just straight up, I am never going back there ever again. I have no intentions of going, going back there ever again. And, and in order for me to not ever go back there ever again, I need to continue to study and be a disciple of my highest and best self every single day. Yeah. And like you said, life changes when you go from viewing things that happen as this is happening to me. But if you change it and you say, wow, this is happening for me. What can I learn from this? What is a soul lesson I need to learn? What is this trigger teaching me that I need to look at and release? And then, like you said, life is fun. It's like, it turns into like a puzzle or a scavenger hunt or something. And, and you mentioned in your beautiful monologue um, when you were talking about manifestation, about how you wake up and you have this fresh perspective on every day because every day is a new paradigm. And I love that. And I also would love for you to share about how that ties into, you said that you use cannabis, correct? Mm -hmm. Um to help you get that fresh perspective. And I'm wondering if you might dive into that a little bit. Sure. So for me, meditation is, 
is very impactful in a way that if you've ever heard someone say like, I'm really bad at meditating. All, all of my clients. Okay. So the reason why people are quote unquote bad at meditating is because there's something in there that is wanting to surface that they don't want to hear or they don't want to see. So for me, um, that's, that's the part that I love about, about meditation because I'm, I'm always looking for, you know, if your mind is a filter, your, your mind is not a, a storage device. Scientists are now, we're, we're proving that thoughts are measured outside of your physical head. So if we think about it from that perspective, then, you know, we need to stop thinking in terms of logic to explain why things are happening. Meditation is that opportunity for us to go in and say, okay, things don't make sense, but I want to better understand why they don't make sense. And when we go in and we meditate, things come up to the surface that explain why we're going through what we're going through. When I started studying plant medicine, 2003, I got really, really in depth uh, with the study of it, um, the psychedelics and things like that. Um, one of the things that I started realizing was that there are parts of our psyche that we are not able to access because the pain of the trauma is too severe. So there was a, um, incredible man, um, David Hawkins, um, one of my absolute favorite authors and, uh, such a brilliant mind. He wrote a book called Power Versus Force. He was a therapist. Um, and he, he actually, he became enlightened through his work. And so one of the things that he said was, you know, you can't expect someone who is battling extreme amounts of trauma to just not use a drug at all if their trauma is so severe that they need a, a tool to numb that part of their brain that they could go in deep enough to uproot the trauma then by all means use it. And so he said, like, if it needs to be a pharmaceutical drug, if it needs to be alcohol, if it needs to be marijuana or psychedelics or whatever, use it. Don't say to someone or don't make them wrong for using those things. So one of the things I actually experiment with is cannabis in the form of, because we're, there's so much science on the endocannabinoid system. Now um, we're understanding that you know, the medical profession has completely negated it from, you know, from training for as far back as we can remember. And the endocannabinoid system is, is responsible for a lot of regulations and homeostasis in the body. Now, when the body is out of homeostasis, we need to bring it back into homeostasis. So for someone like me, um, I am classified as immunocompromised. So I was diagnosed with Epstein-Barr years ago. I have different beliefs about Epstein-Barr um, based on the work that I've done. Um, a lot of uh, people that have come to me with autoimmune viruses also battle with heavy amounts of self-judgment. Um, and so we can actually unravel those and the virus sends team, seems to just kind of go back into remission and disappear, which is really cool. Cannabis is a very ex exceptional tool for this because people who are susceptible to autoimmune viruses uh, have a overactive immune system. So they're constantly looking for things to, to either be challenged by or to challenge to other people. And it's like this overexcited energy in their body. Cannabis actually downregulates that. So it soothes the immune system 
so that you can function properly and effectively. And you're not as susceptible to a backlash of like horrible symptoms if it decides to come back. So cannabis is great for that. But it's also partially responsible for the part of the brain that helps us to forget. Now, our brain is typically programmed to have Velcro with all the negative and Teflon with all the positive is the best way that I've, I've heard it described. So yeah. everything that's negative, like, oh, I'm going to remember that. Oh, yeah, I'm going to remember that. I'm never going to forget that. But then all the positive, it's like, why don't we remember all those positive things? So in terms of, of uh, meditation, what I've been doing is I've been using it in my journaling practices and in my meditation. So I'm, I'm practicing in those moments when a program comes up, in that, in that state of relaxation in my brain, I'm, I'm acknowledging where that program is. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing how it plays out in my life. And I'm making that conscious decision, forget this, choose this instead. And then when I do that, uh, I practice basically a tool that Dr. Joe Dispenza teaches, which is to give yourself the emotional experience of it having already occurred. So you're creating a new memory in the brain. So I guess it would, it would kind of equal like a self-hypnosis in a way of me using cannabis because I'm putting my brain into a relaxed state through meditation and through the use of cannabis, through the, the ratios that have worked for me with THC and CBD. And then from that state, I'm unraveling the, 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 the filters of my own consciousness, of my own identity, and reprogramming according to what is going to be more suitable and in my highest good. That is incredible. I've not heard that before. I mean, I've heard of plant medicine and, you know, mushroom assisted therapies, you know, coming about, but I've not heard it explained in that way. And it really intrigues me um, and interests me a lot, especially, you know, in the treatment of trauma and, I mean, even addiction, which seems a little counterintuitive using a substance to counter addiction, but I can see how that would help someone to, to reprogram, which is so important. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the key is, you know, when, when an addict is, is using a substance, the addict is using the substance to be numb to the pain, not to do the inner work. But if you use a substance to numb the pain and also do the inner work, it's a different approach. And the body and the mind are going to receive the substance in a very different way because the intention is clear. So, you know, for me, when I do mushrooms, I do it with a very specific purpose of going in, looking for an answer, being open to an answer, allowing an answer to come to me. So that by the time I'm done, I'm a better person than when I started. It's not just like, oh, let me just take it just because. Like, it goes straight in and I'm like, okay, I receive whatever messages need to come up. And sometimes it's beautiful and it's great. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And it, this is so good. And then I'm sometimes it's like so dark and I'm like, oh my God, this is dumb. Like, I didn't even realize I was seeing the world like this. And it's painful and it's icky. But I, I would... I would, I would, I would wager because I've not had a, what people consider a bad trip, but I'm also 
very strong willed in that where if I feel there's something negative there, I take ownership instead of victimizing myself for it. So it, it, it never turns into a bad trip. I'm able to be there in that space and say, okay, something really negative is coming up for me and I'm going to accept this as a lesson and use this as an opportunity to shed whatever it is that's surfacing because I trust that source is going to bring this up for me in this moment because it's something that I need to resolve. And so there's, you know, I believe that, you know, there's a, a training that needs to occur when we're using these types of substances um, in a therapeutic way. Um, you know, even something like MDMA is very, very powerful for that as well. Um, and, you know, just from my own personal experience in those, in, in all of those, it really just comes down to the intention that you take in choosing to accept these substances into your body. And that, that's really where the disconnect comes is we become an addict when we are in self-destruct mode, when we are making ourselves wrong for not knowing better, for not doing better, for not thinking better, for not saying better, for not looking better. But if we go into it and we say, I'm ready to heal, I'm ready to let go of everything that's been holding on to me, and I'm ready to see what else is available to me, the substance will have a very different effect in the body. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, I was going to say what you said, which is the intention in which you take a substance, even if it's food, can really impact the way that it's processed in the body and the effect that it has. It's that state dependent effects. So if you're super angry at your spouse and you're like, I'm going to go chug a bottle of I mean, hope it's not a bottle of vodka, but you know, but it happens, but it happens exactly it happens. all the time. And you go into taking that substance in that state, it's going to have a whole lot worse effects than if you're sipping on some vodka with, you know, your family in a peaceful setting, it's going to be completely different. And I was talking with my doctor friend about like, the same thing with food. If you, you know, I found that I mentioned this in, in the podcast, when I went to Italy, I was able to eat, you know, things I don't tolerate here because I was in a state of, I'm in va on vacation, I'm relaxed, I'm having fun. Um, and kind of taking that away, like, how can I implement that here? And it all comes back to the energy we were talking about of like, what is the energy that you're putting into the food, the drink, the substance that you're taking in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that this, there's a, there's a, a, there's more to that conversation too. I mean, in terms of food, um, you know, as far as like the glyphosate here in the United States, I mean, I know for a fact, if I'm in another country, I can eat anything, but even here, I can't even eat like organic flour. You know, it's just, it's just so, so riddled with, uh, with glyphosate, but, but it really does boil down to, to the intention that you have when you're eating. I mean, you know, uh, when I talk to my clients about, about their relationship with food, it boils down to a sacred contract. Um, and, and I believe that that, that goes all the way down to farmers and food manufacturers. This is one of the reasons why I related so much to Ashley was, we have lost integrity, especially here in the U.S., with the quality and the sustainability of our food. Now, if we only eat food to numb the pain, 
if we only eat food because it's cheap, if we only eat food because it's quick and fast and convenient, what kind of energy are we putting into our body? If we're saying to our body, I don't value you enough to, to honor you with, with what's in your highest good. When we say, I, I appreciate my body and my health and my sanity enough to go out and do the research and understand what's in my food, to understand how it's grown, maybe to grow my own. And, and when I sit down with my, with my meal, however it is, whatever it is, and, and, I, and I say this too, like if you're going to have a cheat meal even, right? So you're sitting down with your food and you're, you, you make a conscious decision. I am choosing right now to eat this food. You're not eating with guilt and shame the way you would like, oh, I shouldn't be eating this. Oh, I know I shouldn't be eating this. I can't believe I just ate a whole pint of ice cream. But you're saying, okay, I'm making the conscious decision to, to, to put hand to mouth. This food is going into my body. I'm making a conscious decision. I'm going to choose to enjoy it. I'm going to choose to allow myself to enjoy it. The body is going to process it differently than it would if you were eating with guilt and shame. So we have to really understand what our relationship is with food and understand how that reflects back to our relationship with our body and how much we're really judging our body and identifying with our body instead of identifying with our habits and understanding that it's, it's the habits that cause us to have confidence or not, to believe that we're capable or not, to believe that we can trust ourselves to follow through or not. And when we look at that relationship and we really, we really honor that relationship, it becomes a lot easier to choose even experiences in the world that are more in our highest good. Because if we have a practice of this is in my highest good, this is a conscious choice. We take ourselves out of victim consciousness and into empowerment. And now we go into a situation, maybe that's a toxic situation, maybe at home or with a, a partner or a friend. And because we feel the frequency of choosing in our highest good, we know how good that feels. And our brain reticular activation is literally going to start looking for reasons to prove that we are worthy of more and to prove and validate what we truly believe in that one little practice of eating consciously. And um, it, it's, it's, really, it's really amazing how much of a gateway drug that is. Self-love and self-care, how much of a gateway drug that is. And the more we continue to do that on a daily basis, um, the faster we get out of the hole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Self-love is, love in general is the, it's the highest vibration energy. And if we can have that for ourselves and others, then our entire world changes, like you just said. By simply having self-love, we can change our habits by asking, like you said, is this contributing to my highest good? If it's not, I need to look at why I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, what's the point of doing it? What is it serving? Mm-hmm. So with all of that um, manifestation, getting out of victim mentality, making conscious decisions toward our highest self, self-love, all these really beautiful, powerful things we've talked about. I would love to wrap all of that into a bow by 
talking about what you mentioned before, which is this 5D world that we are entering and these upgrades that we're doing and why all of this work that we just talked about is so important for that. And maybe breaking down for people who may be like, what is a 5D upgrade? Like, can you please explain? Can you maybe break that down a little bit? Mm -hmm. Sure. So the scientists right now believe that we have reached the state, the, the highest state of our human evolution. They believe that there's no more room for us to evolve. Unfortunately, the reason why they believe that is because scientific methods can only measure what is in this current 3, 4D reality. So 3D is um, uh, height, length, depth. Fourth dimension is time, but it's not something that we can really measure. It's actually really relative and responsive to our thoughts and beliefs, which is really kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. But the 5D, the, the next phase of our evolution is something that really is opening us to the understanding of the 12 strands of DNA. And there are 10 strands of DNA doctors know about, but they cannot measure. So they don't teach about it. They can't study it. But in those 10 strands, those 10 additional strands of DNA are hidden, like these superpowers that we see in, in all these scientific movies like X-Men and, and, and Marvel and, and whatever. So when we think about that, the evolution of our, our species right now is moving into a completely different dimension where every one of us is going to relate differently to each other. Did you ever see the movie Lucy? I haven't. Ooh, one of my absolute favorite movies. I've, I've seen it way too many times to count, but it's Scarlett Johansson plays this character where um, she ends up unlocking a hundred percent of her brain. So it's progressive throughout the movie and the abilities that she's able to access by unlocking those parts of her brain. Now it's not necessarily so much about unlocking them um, so much as it is just about accessing them because they are unlocked. They, they do exist. We just forgot. We are programmed to look a certain way and we don't realize that all of them, and that, that's why we are manifesting on a daily basis, whether we know it or not, consciously or unconsciously. It's just a lot more fun when you're doing it consciously. So in the 5D, and, and we're already experiencing this now. So for those of us who already understand manifestation, we're understanding that one tiny little step in our favor is equivalent to 10, 100, or even a million back before COVID. The energy is so restricted and so compounded right now. It's so amplified right now. It would be the equivalent to a butterfly breaking out of a cocoon or a chicken cracking out of an egg. We've been in incubation. This is emergence. And so when we are moving into this next phase of our evolution, we are waking up to these gifts, nonverbal communication, intuitive guidance, and inner knowing, these six, seventh, and eight senses, not just the five. So 5D is going to offer us an opportunity to connect with each other in these ways. And how fitting is it that we have literally been quarantined 
to not use what we think we need to connect with humans. And this is our opportunity to practice that nonverbal communication, that intuitive knowing, that intuitive guidance. Because when this is all over, there's going to be a split. We're going to have vaxxers versus anti-vaxxers. We're going to have people who want singularity with his merging man and machine. We're going to have people who want to take the red pill and free themselves from the matrix. And as all of those dualities start to accentuate, there are going to be those people who understand that on a soul level, the reason why that duality exists, if singularity exists and machines can do that, humans can too. We just need to remember. If a computer can do that, what would happen if we got rid of our filter of perception and filter of what we thought was possible and just tapped into the infinite intelligence that exists? We wouldn't need a supercomputer. We would just need the power of our source. And this is what 5D is bringing, bringing to us. This is why there are so many, you know, um, uh, I, I, I use this word loosely, but demonic, sat satanic things that people are saying, you know, these, these evil forces in the world, that's why they're rising to the surface and more people are becoming aware. You know, these conspiracy theories are now being proven correct. And we're seeing that a lot of this darkness that was hiding in the shadows is now coming to the surface because there's too much light for them to hide anymore because the 5D is opening that up for us. So yes, that is the, that's the direction we're going. Yeah. And I really appreciate you breaking that down for people because I think that it's one of those things that people want to write off as like bullshit. And it's like, no, it's, it's actually happening whether or not you want to choose to believe it is like it's happening. Um, this isn't like religion or any of that. This is like, this is what's happening. <laughs> and I hope that people can take away a fresh perspective on COVID and I want to say get out of the mentality that this is happening to us and I'm not saying that it's not completely tragic that people are dying from this like of course it is but there's a reason for it and I think it's what you said to literally quarantine us. I think I, I heard a quote that summed it up. It was like, this, this COVID experience is like um, Mother Earth sending us all to our rooms to think about what we've done. It's like, because we have a lot we need to look at. Mm -hmm. And we, like you said, we can't use, I don't have time, I don't have money, blah, 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 as an excuse anymore because we we literally have all of that. I mean, the money part, you know, a lot of us are struggling with. But there's, there's no excuse anymore. Mm -mm. 
No, I mean, there, and there are so many, there are so many people who are offering extreme discounts, free courses, you know, so it's, it's like the excuse is really gone. It's about saying, and, and it's kind of interesting because there are a lot of people who like I've followed for a really long time and maybe the program that I've been looking at is like now really a, a massive discount. And, and they're like, okay, there's this many numbers of spots available. And I, and for me, I'm like, yeah, but I don't need the discount. Right. And so I, 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 I take a step back and I'm like, I'm going to let the people who need the discount have the discount. I'll pay full price because I know I can. And, and it's in that space of, of really just acknowledging like where you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be because that's what's happening. There are no shoulds. Right. But it is also to acknowledge that, that as you're saying, there, if we are to deny what's going on, we are to pretend even that history didn't exist. So little, little kind of little known fact. Um, so this is the book that I'm reading right now. It's called Remote Viewing. Um, and this was a technology that was actually discovered uh, when World War II ended and um, Hitler's bunkers where he was saving all of his occult um, things that he had stolen. Uh, they, found, they found this as part of some of the things that he was hiding, the technology that he was hiding. Well, okay, if we look at that and we, we say, okay, at that time, Hitler was hiding all of this spiritual material, all of this information about true human technology, about genetic alterations, about building superhumans. Hitler was also, and this is, this is like the fun part, Hitler was also working with aliens. Hitler was receiving alien technology to build ships, to build disc ships. Like if we look at that and, and, and we look at our history and then we look at what's going on right now, when the U.S. government found this technology, they took it and they started studying it and they couldn't explain it, but they used it and they used it all the way up until 1995 and then they declassified it and tried to prove that it wasn't working. But the one building with all the materials was not destroyed. Everything else was destroyed. And what they, what they found as they were doing all of this, and this guy used to actually work with them. So he was a teacher. He was, you know, he was part of that program. What they found during that was they found the science of the infinite intelligence. They found the science of quantum physics and how being present in this moment is the only thing that you truly actually can control. When we are seriously present in this moment and we're not focused on the brokenness in the world and we're not focused on what we're losing out on, but we're focused on this moment right now, I have 100% complete control of how I'm choosing to show up and how I'm choosing to act and how I'm choosing to be and what I'm choosing to invest, because it is an investment, my attention into, that is when I have complete control of my future. That's what remote viewing teaches. So like, if you think about it from that perspective, they take it a step further and they say that the information you receive in remote viewing comes from 8D. Not even 5D, comes from 8D. 
And if you practice being still enough and you're not focused on all the crap around the world, you are still. You are open to receive things that your human mind cannot comprehend because it is so limited to this 4D reality, this 3D reality right now. But you're tapping into something that is so far beyond your current comprehension that you're not going to be able to access any of it if you're focused on all the things that you're losing out on. And so, you know, to go back to your point, it's, it's like basically saying like we could sit and we can complain and we can bitch and we can whine or we can say, how can I use this as an opportunity to see myself in a better light? How can I use this as an opportunity to rise? Because, you know, what happens if everything collapses tomorrow? Do you want to be someone who people can lean on? Or do you want to be someone who has to depend on someone else because you didn't do what your heart wanted you to do, what your heart called you to do to prepare to lead other people? I had someone say to me the other day, I said to her, you do realize you're a healer, right? And when we started talking about it, she said to me, I don't think I want that kind of responsibility. And she's the ultimate victim. And if that's the case, like, that's cool. Like you understand you don't want the responsibility of taking care of yourself. Okay, got it. But you will forever be in a position where you're waiting for someone else to save you. And I, I'm not that person. You know, um, I want people to see me as someone who will always find a way, regardless, always. I'm always looking for a solution. And I want to inspire other people to do that because the more of us do that, the easier it will be for us to repair after COVID. The easier it will be for us to create a world that supports all of us. And so I want to be an architect. I want to be a builder of the new world. Someone who contributes to the greater good, not someone who needs to depend on the old systems or the government to, you know, to keep me alive. I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. And, and when we look at our, the opportunity that we have during this quarantine, um, it really is that opportunity for, for us to really just stop accepting our own bullshit and, and really call ourselves out. I think that is an amazing message to leave people with. Empower yourself and yeah, calling yourself out mm -hmm. on your own bullshit and what you can do in this time. Absolutely. I mean, hey, if we, if we are constantly depending on others to lift us up, we're never going to truly understand happiness because it can always be taken away. Mm -hmm. But some of the most powerful leaders of our time were people who have gone through extreme cases of trauma and were not willing to sacrifice the, the scarce, the, the, the sanctity, the sacredness of their mind for the scarcity that they were experiencing. And they chose to keep their mind fresh and focused. And I, I, I truly believe that the more of us can do that now, the better off we're going to be. I totally agree with you.
Thank you so much for this incredible conversation. I'm just kind of speechless um, with how powerful your messages are and the way that you really beautifully illustrated a lot of things that can be really confusing for people or that people just don't want to look at. And I'm hoping that people will walk away from this really thinking about how they can live their lives differently and contribute to not only themselves, but it's about the collective and, and how you can help the world right now by helping yourself. So thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, can you please tell us if there are any other messages that you would like people to leave with and where all they can find you in the ethers of technology and yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think the final message really uh, would be just um, don't accept what is as all there is. Always question, always follow the white rabbits. Um, look for the hidden clues that will lead you to seeing a bigger picture, not just of the negative, but also of the positive. Um, and, and really just don't accept what is as all there is because there's so much more. Um, and if you want more information about me, you can find me on Instagram and on Facebook, Goddess Intelligence, and then also at Eat, Glow, Rise, which is my food account. Wonderful. I'll put all of those in the show notes. And awesome. thank you again for- Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Yeah, it was amazing.